All right, it's so very good to see all of you. I want to thank you for coming and being a part of the class tonight. I want you to know that, as always, it's a privilege and a joy to be here with you, sharing God's Word and sharing God's truth with you. Um, so we, in the past, have been talking, I guess, probably about the last two years now, maybe? Maybe somewhere along in there we've been talking about Christ in the Old Testament. And one of the main themes about Christ in the Old Testament is that all of Scripture is theocentric or Christocentric. What do we mean when we say that something? What do we mean when we say something is Christocentric? Christ-centered. It's Christ-centered, that's right. If something is geocentric, that means it's centered around the earth. Heliocentric means it's centered around the sun. Theocentric, centered around God. Christocentric means that it's centered in Christ. And one of the things that we need to understand about God's Word, one of the things that we need to understand about these Scriptures is that they are all about Him. Have you ever thought about why God saved you? If you're in this room tonight and you are a born-again, blood-bought child of God, there's a purpose behind your salvation. Right? There's a purpose behind it. And unfortunately, most of us in our fallen nature want to find our purpose in what He's going to do for me. I'm going to have good finances. I'm going to have good health. I'm going to have a, a good wife or a good husband, good kids, a long, prosperous life, etc., etc. We, we think about the fact that God saved us for ourselves, but the reality is, is that you are one small brick in a building called the church. Jesus Christ being that cornerstone, the kingdom of God is Christocentric, and we are all built up for a purpose around that kingdom. God has not created you for you. He's created you for Him to glorify Him. And so one of the reasons that I'm bringing this up is because in our fallen nature, as fallen sons and and daughters of Adam and Eve, our natural tendency is to be egocentric. What does that mean? It's about me. It's about I. Me, myself, and I. I I be an ego, right? I. And if you'll notice in your thought processes, in your conversations, in your daily walk, when we talk about conversations in the Bible, we're not just talking about what you say. A conversation is your walk. What you think, what you feel, what you say, what you do. That's your conversation. Right? When you make a profession of Jesus Christ before the world, it is a conversation with the world. And so what you think, what you feel, what you say, what you do, how you act is an expression of who you really are on the, on the inside. And the truth be told, most of our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions revolve around me. What am I going to be doing six months from now? What am I going to be doing when I get out of here? What am I going to be doing when I get home and see my kids? I, I, I. And if you ever want to check yourself, just make a little mental ascent to how many times you say me, mine, and I, and how much of your conversation revolves around you. When you're sitting down talking with the next person that you talk with, sit down and talk with them, and just listen to how many times they say I, 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 me, my, mine, I. It's egocentric. And not only that, but not only is their conversation egocentric, but your reply to them, what you're thinking in their head that you're going to say to them already revolves around you. Well, I think. That's right. You see? 
And that's also applies spiritually to our lives. We think about our salvation. Why? Because God has saved me and now I'm sober. Right? Sobriety is a good goal to have, is it not? But sobriety is simply the fruition of a heart that is turned away from an idol and turned back to God. And the moment I make it about the fruit is the moment that it, the focus gets off the roots, which is that Christ has saved me, Christ has regenerated, Christ has given me a new heart. And so tonight what I thought we would do um, to get away a little bit from teaching Christ in the Old Testament, I want to focus tonight on the fact that the Scriptures is Christocentric. And not only are the Scriptures Christocentric, but so is your salvation. So is your eternal fulfillment. It's all about Him. And the more you make it about Him, the more you'll find the things that you're looking for. Because self is a bottomless pit. And you'll never fill it up. Y'all have all tried. And no matter how much of this world you try to suck in and take in, it only brings death. But Jesus says that we are to be crucified to self and live for Christ. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I. There's that ego. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So the new life that I live is a life that has been given to me through Christ, and it's maintained through Christ. My salvation is a gift from Him. The, the continuity of that salvation, the eternality of that salvation is through Him, not me. And the moment that I make anything about my salvation, about me, is the moment that I'm starting to lean on a broken crutch. It's not about you, it's about Him. And so as we go through some scriptures tonight and talk about these things, um, I, I do want you to, to have that as the central thought tonight. That your salvation is about Christ, not you. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So what is the greatest commandment? Love God and love those image bearers around me. Those those around me bear the image of Christ. Or bear, bear the image of God. We were all created in God's image. And so my eternal life is lived out in a conversation before the world, before God, before the angels, and before me, before myself. That conversation is carried out daily. And that conversation is supposed to look like me loving God with all of my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength. And loving the people around me as I love myself. And that's not easy to do. Why? Because I get in the way. And it's just that simple. So let's go ahead and open it. If you want to turn your Bibles, we're going to start um, with a passage in Colossians. We're going to go to Colossians chapter 2 and look at verses 1 through 14 for a few minutes. But as you do that, as you're turning to Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 2. Uh, I'll go ahead and open this up in a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, it is truly a privilege and a joy uh, to be able to come into Your presence, to be among Your people, and to study Your Word. We thank You for all that it 
it brings to us. It brings us life and it brings us hope and joy and peace, patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and meekness and self-control. And so we need those things from You, O Heavenly Father. And those things are found in Your Word through the gift of Your Son and through the power of Your Holy Spirit. And so we ask You now, please be with us in this time of study. Help us to focus on You, our King of kings and Lord of lords. Help us to think about You, our God and our Savior, who loved us so much that You allowed Your Son to take the hell we deserve so that we could have a life we can never earn. And we thank You, Holy Spirit, for making us aware of that. For giving us the strength and the ability to, to turn from sin and self and to turn to You alone. So we take these prayers, we take these words, we take this life that you have given to us, and we offer it to you tonight and ask you to do with it as you will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in, <clears throat> I'm not going to go into a lot of details, but I want to look at Colossians chapter 2. and We're going to look at verses 1 through 14 and kind of go through some passages there. It says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all of those who have not personally seen my face that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ Himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive arguments. For even though I am absent in the body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Now, I want that to be our central focus at at verse 6 there, but we'll keep on reading. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Next time you're with a friend and they tell you that the Bible doesn't teach that Jesus is God, just turn right there and give them that verse. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in Him you have been made complete, and he is the head and rule over all, or he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and your uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it 
to the cross. Amen. So let's go back through and look at this. I want you to understand that there is not a single one of you in this room that is a child of God that did not come to Christ in the same way. Now what do I mean by that? Everybody in this room has different stories and you all had different paths that led you to salvation. But the reality is is that the only way that a person can see the kingdom of God, the only way that a person can enter the kingdom of God is to be what? Born again. Alright? So the way that you became a child of God was through regeneration through the new birth. It wasn't because of some decision you made when you were sitting on a pew in a church. Alright? If your salvation is based on a decision that you made while you were sitting in a church one day, then you are the instigator of your salvation. Now, those of us who have been saved, those of us who have been regenerated, certainly do choose to follow Christ. It's one of the fruitions of a regenerated heart. Before you were regenerated, you had no choice but to serve sin and death. You were a slave. And we'll see that here in a few minutes. But the reality is, what do I mean when I say that every single one of us in this room, if you were in the sound, within the sound of my voice tonight, and you are truly a child of God, you came to Him in the same path that everybody else did. What does that mean? The Gospel was preached to you through the Word of God and through the power of the Word and through the working of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, He created in you a new heart. That's the way it works for every single person that is saved. The Word of God and the Spirit of God work together to make a child of God. The Word of God and the Spirit of God come together to make a child of God. And what part did you play in that? You're not the Word of God and you are not the Spirit of God. You were dead in trespasses and sin. Walking according to the course of this world, walking according to the prince of the power of the air, the son of the, uh, the spirit is now working in the sons of disobedience. That was you. But God reached down and said, "I love you too much to let you keep living like that." And He changed you. Amen. He called to you with His Word, and His Spirit drew you to Him. And because you were His child, because He died on that cross to save you. You came when you were called. My sheep know my voice. And when I call, they come. You see how that works? It's the Word of God and the Spirit of God working together to make a child of God. And none of that has to do with your power. It's all God's power. The moment I start making it about something that I did is the moment that I put human works into it. And salvation is by grace through faith, not of works lest any man should boast. And so the moment that you start inserting I into your salvation, you're starting to trust in yourself again. Now, it's something that all of us do. Think about this. When you were a kid, when or if any of y'all have children, I don't have any kids, but I do remember being a kid, and I deal with kids every day in my life working at the grocery store. They come to my store and tear up the store and throw things around and act bad at don't listen to their parents, but one of the one of the generalities of a child is is that everything's about them. 
One of the first words we learn as a child after no is mine. That's exactly right. And we mean it. That little baby who spits his pacifier out and the veins pop out in the temple of his forehead and his face turned red would rip your throat out if he was full grown. He is angry because he is not getting his way. It is pure out hatred and anger. He's upset because it's about him and he is not being satisfied. As we age, as we get older, we learn to kind of hide that eyeness in the shadows, don't we? We learn to kind of make it about other people. We, we kind of hide our selfishness behind good intentions, behind, you know, I'll do for you if you'll do for me, and, and whatnot. But the reality is that every child is all about them, mine, mine, mine. And as you grow older, as you mature, hopefully as you grow older and as you mature, for most of you men in this room, it'll be about 40, right? You start realizing, you start waking up to the reality that it's it's not revolving around me. And that's a shocking discovery, is it not? Sometimes it takes us our whole life to deal with that reality. <clears throat> but the truth of the matter is it's never been about you. So, even as a child of God, what what is the first step to being a child of God? You must be what? Born again. So, uh, we're going to see this in a minute. Peter says, as a newborn babe, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Right? And so, the truth of the matter is, even as a Christian, we can be immature Christians. And what do you think it looks like to be an immature Christian? It's still about me. Mine. Give me. I'm not getting my way. You see? And if you are an immature Christian and you're not grounded in the Word and you don't have that foundation of truth under you, you're going to act like an immature Christian. As you grow, you're going to learn you don't have to fight every fight and win. Sometimes you can just pass by the argument. I'm still trying to learn that one myself. I like to be right. I like to be right. And so, the the reality is is that our, our salvation is a work from God. And and this salvation is a work from God that is presented us through the gospel. So what I want to do, I want to really quickly, uh, before we get into the main text, let's look at a couple of passages together. Look with me in Romans, in Romans chapter one. Just trying to see what Paul's attitude is towards this gospel that brings life, right? Romans chapter one and verse sixteen says this: "For I am not ashamed of the gospel." That word gospel means the good news. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? Power of God. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. So, our life of faith is a life that continues to grow, is it not? We continue as we walk with Christ, as we begin to mature in our knowledge and our understanding of the Word of God as we begin to mature, as we begin to get that foundation, our faith grows stronger, does it not? Yes. 
It takes me a little longer to lose my temper now than it used to. But I still lose my temper, right? It takes me a little longer to be tempted with my eyes than it used to, but I still get tempted with my eyes. And so, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God. So, as I sit here tonight and I share, I have the privilege and joy of opening up God's Word and sharing God's message of truth with you, I realize that it's not me, but it's God's Word that is the power of God. These words are literally God speaking to you out loud. Oh God, show me a sign. Right? And this is the sign you get. He speaks to you through His Word. Loud and clear. And that is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. So God is not does not play favorite racial favorites, right? The the gospel of salvation, the salvation was presented to the Jews first and then to the Greeks. Everybody get the proclamation goes out to all of the world. So this is a powerful message. It's a powerful gospel, and it's the power of God. It's not the power of me. I don't use the gospel as a method of convincing you that it's true. I use the gospel as a way to proclaim truth and you do with it what you will. If I can persuade you that something's true, I can persuade you that something's not true. My job is not to convince you it's true. My job is to proclaim these truths and allow God's Word to work. And that's what it does. It always works. Right? Sometimes it takes 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Sometimes it takes 3 seconds. But His Word always works. And what you're going to do is one day, 25 years from now, you're going to remember something that you learned in one of these classes in here and you're going to finally be able to apply it to your life and go, oh, that's what they meant. Because it's a continual maturing process. God's Word is always at work in you, conforming you to the image of Christ. So... Let's look at another passage. What else does Paul think? Let's look in 1 Corinthians, just a couple pages over to you right there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18. It says this, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This gospel message, it goes out to who? All and to some people it is foolishness, and to some people it is the power of God. The word, the gospel message preached is the power of God being expressed. The same power that gives light to the sun is the same power that gives spiritual power to this word. And so we have to understand how important it is that our lives, our salvation, our conversation, if you will, is Christocentric, is centered on the Word of God. The way that I worship God has to be centered on how God tells me to worship. The moment that I get away from Scripture and begin to worship God in a way that is contrary to what Scripture says, or or I'm just ad-libbing, I've stepped out of bounds. God has given me His Word so I can know the way to worship Him. 
and I and my life, my salvation, my conversation, my daily walk, my thoughts, my words, my actions, who I am should be a mere reflection of that word at work in me. And the moment that I add I into it is the moment that that reflection starts to dim. So he says, it is the power of God to those of us who are being saved. So, so I ask you tonight, I put it on your platter. Is resurrection from the dead, is the hope of eternal life, foolishness, or is it the very power that has saved you and is bringing you to the throne of God? <coughs> If it's foolishness, then I'm going to add all kind of extras onto it to make it make sense. But there's no science. There's no way to observe resurrection from the dead. Like There's no way to prove it through science. Because only one man has done it. Mm-hmm. On his own power. <coughs> he has raised others from the dead, but on his own power, <coughs> only one has done that. So, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's look at another passage in Acts chapter 20. Back to your left a couple of pages. Acts chapter 20 and verse 32. Acts chapter 20 and verse 32. So then, some were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion and the majority did not know what reason they had come together. I think I wrote the wrong passage. Acts 20. I did write the wrong passage. Acts 20, I'm reading 19. That's probably got a lot to do with it, doesn't it? Let's try it again. Acts 20.32, not Acts 19.32. And now I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all of those who are sanctified. Think about what he's saying there. I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace. Not to dreams and visions and goosebumps and lightheadedness. None of those things. Not your feelings and your emotions. He doesn't commend you to your emotions. He doesn't commend you to your experiences. He doesn't commend you to your feelings and premonitions. I commend you to God and to His grace, to the Word of His grace. That Word of grace is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all of those who are sanctified. So what does the word sanctified mean? What does it mean to be sanctified? Set apart. When God regenerates your heart and makes you a child of God, He sets you apart and says, He's mine. She's mine. Different than the rest of this world. You're sanctified. And who all is being sanctified? All of His sheep, right? It's a process that's happening every day. And that sanctification process is a lifelong process. To be set apart, to be conformed to the image of Christ. So sanctification is the process of being conformed to the image of Christ. So every one of you in this room is maturing. Some of you are maturing a lot faster than others. I see a lot of gray hair, a lot of bald spots, right? Right? Yeah, me too, Tony. 
So we are maturing. But what are you maturing at? You're maturing as a son or a daughter of your mother and father. You're carrying, I don't understand all that XXYY stuff, but you're carrying your parents' genes, right? And the color of your hair and the build of your body and your eye color and how big your nose is and how small your feet are, whatever it be, all of that is based on your genetics. And that attitude that you have, that selfishness that you have, all of that comes from your parents. They give it to you. Now, you can't blame them because it's you, right? But you are every day maturing towards what your parents created you to be. As you get older, you'll start looking more and more and acting more and more like your parents. That's a terrifying thought for some of us. But the truth of the matter is, there were things, just being flat honest with you, there were things about my dad that I hated all of my life. Amen. But in my fallenness and in my anger and my bitterness towards him, the world, the flesh, and the devil used those things to conform me to the very thing I hated. I became the very things that I hated in him. You see? But the reality is, is when the Spirit of God and the Word of God is at work in the sanctification process of your life, conforming you to the image of Christ, as you grow more and more, you're going to start looking more and more like Christ and less and less like Adam. And that process will be fulfilled when you're given a new body to go along with your new spirit. Then you will be truly uh, uh, a son of God uh, in, in the fullest extent. But right now, your body is maturing. The problem with your body maturing is that it's not going to stop. It's going to, it's going to rot and it's going to turn to dust. That's the eventual process of your, your maturation as a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve. That's the process of maturation. You die. You turn to dust. Dust thou art, dust thou will become. But in the resurrection, in the gospel message, the grave doesn't hold the child of God, does it? And so spiritually, you are now being conformed to the image of Christ, and it should be played out in your life. People should be able to see that in you as much as they see your mom and your dad in you. Unfortunately for us as fallen humans, a lot of times it's way easier for me to express who I am in Adam than who I am in Christ. But as the gospel message is presented to us, as we grow in our knowledge of Scripture... As the Spirit of God and the Word of God work in your life, you will be conformed. You will die to self and you will live for Christ. And the more He works, the more it will become added to you and those around you. Amen? Alright, one more, uh, and then we'll get back to that text we were looking at. James, go to the book of James 1.21. James 1.21. It says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. Right? Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. So who implants the word in you? The Holy Spirit, right? God. That's okay. You need what you want to put that. How does He plant that? He regenerates your heart and He fills you with His Spirit. 
What does it look like when He implants His Word in your soul? Well, let's look. Let's go to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36 and verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord your God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act before my holy name which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations, I will gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove that heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe all of my ordinances. Listen to that again. I will take you from the nations. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness, from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. I will remove that heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways. That's God doing all that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know what He said to the Israelites? He said, it's not because of your goodness, it's because I'm good. I made a promise to your forefather Abraham that you were my people. And I'm not going to let you keep living like that. So I'm going to reach down into that wicked, idolatrous world you're living in and snatch you out of it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wash you clean. I'm going to rip that old heart of stone out of you and put a heart of flesh in you. And I'm going to fill you with my spirit and give you the ability to walk in a way that you would have never walked among your, on your own. Amen. And that's all his work. So back at that James passage, let me read that again. You don't have to turn back there because we're going to go back to the Colossians passage. But this is what he said again. Putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your soul. Now, there is a sense in which we are the ones putting aside the filthiness and the remains of wickedness and in humility receiving God's Word. But what is the opposite of humility? Pride. Pride. Right? This is Pride Month. The first Pride Month was when Satan fell out of heaven. But think about this. What is the source of pride? Ah, that's exactly right. All right, so listen to that passage again. Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of the wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted to you, which is able to save your soul. So die to yourself and receive the word that God has given you. So there is a sense where we are the ones that turn from sin and self and turn to Christ and trust Him and walk with Him and hear His word and follow and obey His word, right? But the moment that I start thinking it's me doing that is the moment that I'm leaning on who? myself. The Bible teaches us that it's it's actually Christ that grants you repentance. The reason you turn from sin and self is because God 
changed your heart and gave you the ability to turn. God grants repentance. Grace is a gift from God. Faith is a gift from God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So we're supposed to put aside filthiness. We're supposed to put aside pride and uh, wickedness and receive the word that is able to save our souls. Remember that salvation is a three-part process, okay? We have to remember that. What are the three parts of the salvation process? Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification is the moment in time when God declares you righteousness in His eyes. And how does that happen? It happens to a regenerated heart. It happens from Him saving us and making us children of God. He takes the blood of Christ that bore our sin and covers us in His goodness. When He sees me now, He sees the price has been paid. He sees that that price has been paid in full. And what has happened in that regenerative process when I die to Adam and live in Christ, when Christ saves me and gives me a new life, God covers me in His righteousness. He grants me His righteousness. He, he, he imputes His righteousness to me. So on the cross, Christ took my death. On the cross, Christ took my sin. And at the moment of regeneration, that reality, I'm made aware of it. And not only am I now aware that He has taken away my sin, but I'm also suddenly aware that there is now no condemnation of those who are in Christ. What does that mean? Because I'm covered in the blood of Christ, there is no more guilt on me because Christ took all of that guilt on the cross. And now I can live in hope and joy and peace because I'm no longer living under the condemnation of guilt and sin and death. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. Right? Y'all sing that song still? Alright. So, salvation is a three-part process. Justification. That's the moment when I'm justified. It's justified and I've done anything wrong. Right? Justified. The second part is sanctification. That is the process of becoming created in the image of God and that's a lifelong process. From the moment of your regeneration until the moment you draw your last breath on this earth and step into your eternal home, that is all a sanctification process. That process is a maturing and growing in the image of Christ. And what should it look like in the conversation of a true child of God? When I say conversation, your thoughts, walk, talk, everything. What should it look like? It should look like a progressive dying to self and Christ living through you. All of this higher life stuff that you can live sinless, that's a bunch of garbage. You can't live sinless. Only one man did that. But if you are dying to sin and dying to self and walking in Christ, you are going to become more Christ-like. The spiritual reality that is within you is becoming going to become a more and more evident reality in the life outside. And if there's no growth on the outside, then question the reality of the inward work. No fruits. You better check the roots. Amen. You see how that works? Yeah. All right. Got a couple more minutes left. Let's look. Let's look. Um, so... Regeneration and sanctification and glorification are all aspects of our salvation. 
that salvation is a process that is instigated and enhanced and fulfilled in the gospel. The Word of God and the Spirit of God are the ones that carry on our justification, our sanctification, and our glorification. It's all God's work, right? So let's look at a couple of passages to see some of that. In 1 Peter, let's go to 1 Peter 1.23. First Peter 1.23. We'll start in 22 for context. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Verse 23, For you have been what? born again, not of seed which is perishable, but which is imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. You see what Peter's saying? You're born again, not of a seed that's perishable, not born of the seed of your mom and dad, your, well, your dad and your mom's egg, right? That's how you were born. There was an egg and a seed, and you were born. But that egg and seed were perishable, and you are going to be perishable too. You will die, and your body will rot in a grave. But you have been born again of a seed that is what? Imperishable. Through the living and enduring Word of God. So what is it that's brought you your salvation? The living Word of God. The power of the Word and the power of the Spirit has saved you. What is going to sanctify you? The Word of God and the Spirit of God. What is going to bring about the glorification that you received in eternity? The Word of God and the Spirit of God. You say, now wait a minute. How's the Word of God going to give me a new body in in, in heaven? Right? Right? Because He promised it to you. He gave you His Word that it would happen. The Word is His promise, right? And He's going to fulfill it. Because He's promised that to you, He's going to do it. Yeah. Alright. So, we are born of God. We are quickened and made alive through the power of God. Let's look at that really quickly. Ephesians, right? Most of you are familiar with this passage. I hope you are. If you're not, please get familiar with it. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too also formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even like the rest. But God, it's very important, isn't it? Being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead. Dead people don't do anything but rot and stink. That's it. When we were dead in our transgression, He made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, So in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace 
and kindness towards us in Christ. Now, I'm going to finish with this. I want you to turn back to uh, Ephesians 1. And I want you to hear something. Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, what I want you to listen to, and we'll finish this class with this, I want you to think about Noah's Ark, and I want you to think about the people who were in the Ark. If you were in the Ark, what did that mean? You were saved. Saved from destruction. Now, I want you to listen at Paul and listen to how many times he says, in Him, in Christ, in Jesus. Listen. Just as He chose us, verse 4, in Him before the foundation of the world. You were chosen before the foundation of the world. Before God ever said, let there be light, Tony, He knew you. And He, he said, He's going to be one of mine. Right? In Him before the foundation world that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ to Himself according to the kindness of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace which He freely bestowed us on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made us to know the mystery of His will according to His kind intentions which He purposed in Him. With a view to administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heaven and things on the earth, in Him. Are you starting to get... There's like a theme here, isn't it? Verse 11, Also we've attained an inheritance having been predestined according to His purpose who works all things after the counsel of His will to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be the to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now we're going to finish with that line right there. Look at that verse again. Verse 13. In Him... You also, who is he talking to there? You also. The true believers at the church at Ephesus. He's speaking to those who are truly children of God. I could feel like I'm on the boat with Noah. But if I'm not in that ark, I'm going to feel a lot of rain. You see how that works? And he says this, he says, In Him, you, also, and that's what I want to ask you tonight. Have you trusted Him? Are you trusting Him for your salvation? Are you in Him? Is it about Him? In Him, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. See how that works? That, that, that summarizes what we've been talking about tonight. 
Remember that passage in Ezekiel again? What did he say? I'm going to take you out from among the nations. I'm going to clean you from all your filthiness. I'm going to reach in and rip that heart of flesh out of you, heart of stone out of you, and give you a heart of flesh. And I'm going to put my spirit in you and give you the ability and the strength to walk in a way that you would have never walked on your own. Why did he say that? Because I promised you I would. I have given you my word. So it is the Word of God and the Spirit of God that ensures that we are in Christ. The Word of God and the Spirit of God ensure that we are in Christ. How long have we been in Christ? Before the foundation of the world. When was I in Christ? Well, I certainly was in Christ when He was dying on that cross. Because He was dying for me. That's what Paul just said here. He said, your salvation. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. How long? So how long will I be in Christ? As long as Christ is there. And how long is He going to be there? Forever. So it is the Word of God and the power of the Spirit of God that assures my salvation. Let me sum it up with it. It is the Word of God and the Spirit of God that ensures my salvation. A salvation that is justification, a salvation that involves sanctification, a salvation that involves glorification. And because I am in Christ, the Word of God and the Spirit of God will make sure that that salvation takes place. And the moment that I insert I in it is the moment I screw it up. You see how that works? So it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And by the grace of God, we have the rest of our lives to work this out in fear and trembling. Do we not? Amen? So stay in the Word. Your emotions will pass. The goosebumps will pass. The feelings will pass. The ups and downs of this life will pass. Relationships are going to pass. Family fellowships are going to be broken and regained. There's going to be a lot of tears, a lot of sadness, a lot of happiness, a lot of joy. All of those things are going to be constantly at change, but the one thing that will never change is the salvation that is given to you in Christ through the power of His Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Father, thank you for this time you've given us together tonight. Thank you so much for your salvation uh, that, that you have given to us and shared with us. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for you, Holy Spirit, for making us aware of our sins, for showing us what our Savior did on that cross for us and convincing us of that truth. So I, I pray for each and every person here in this room. I pray for every person that hears this message. If they do not know You, Lord, and it is Your will, I wish, I pray, um, I plead with You to change their hearts and help them to know such a great salvation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.